Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. As the U.S. movement against racism continues to claim victories, corporate media changes the subject from U.S. police terror to Russia. We speak to human rights activist Ajamu Baraka. There's no comparison between what is alleged from the Russians uh, and the, the crimes committed by the U.S. over the last 70 years. And after two months of being ignored, the family of a young female soldier missing from Fort Hood in Texas travels to D.C. to finally get answers. We will never know what happened ever until we get a congressional investigation because everything we were given was lies. It was evasive. They were not sincere. They were actually very disingenuous to us. All that and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, these days, three social tremors are continuing to shake up D.C. There is still no national coordination to combat COVID-19, as more than 130,000 Americans are dead, and cases are spiking in Texas and Florida. A full half of Americans are out of work, and as more cases of police brutality and murder are revealed each week, The movement against racism shows no sign of stopping. In D.C., weekends draw the largest crowds to Black Lives Matter Plaza, one block north of the White House. On Saturday, hundreds of peaceful protesters walked 10 miles throughout D.C. in what was called an F the Police March. They marched throughout the popular nightlife neighborhood of Adams Morgan, where the street is blocked off now for outdoor restaurant diners, some of whom clapped and cheered the protesters even after being lectured by them. We are here tonight. We are here tonight. Because Black Lives Matter. Because Black Lives Matter. Your dinner does not matter. Your dinner does not matter. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Your dinner doesn't matter. Your dinner doesn't matter. Because black people are dying in the hands of the police. Because black people are dying in the hands of the police. Nationally, the movement's victories include much more than the ongoing toppling of monuments to slavery, colonialism, and genocide, such as the removal on Wednesday of the Stonewall Jackson Confederate Monument in Richmond, Virginia. This week, Los Angeles cut $150 million from the budget of the Los Angeles Police Department. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio said he cut $1 billion from the NYPD. But movement leaders in that city said the funds were really just moved to fund cops in public schools. In Philadelphia, medical workers occupied the shuttered Hahnemann Hospital, administering free health care before they were removed by riot police. The Minneapolis City Council continued its goal to disband the police force with a vote for a charter amendment that would replace the police with a Department of Community Safety and Violence Prevention. 
Back in Washington, following last week's historic votes in the House for police reform and D.C. statehood, this week Bernie Sanders spoke in support of his amendments to cut 10% from the Pentagon budget. Senators Ed Markey, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders introduced a bill to end qualified immunity for police officers, and 300 law professors and legal scholars across the United States signed a letter Thursday adding their voices for Congress to fully abolish qualified immunity for police officers and hold local governments accountable when a person's constitutional rights are violated. The House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis issued a plan on Tuesday that puts environmental justice at the forefront of solutions to addressing climate change. More than a dozen lawmakers signed onto a letter that states the U.S. should eliminate aid to Israel if Israel proceeds with illegal annexation of Palestinian land on the West Bank. Israel has since pulled back from its plans that were to go into effect as early as July 1st. And finally, Representative Barbara Lee was a co-convener of a congressional briefing on the increased role that social workers could play in serving communities instead of police. Our country is in the midst of grappling with systemic police violence and the murder of countless black and brown men and women by police, and also how we move forward as a country. A part of the answer should be using the tools already at our disposal. And that includes thinking about how social workers who are trained in social problem solving can be more effective in nonviolent situations. It is time for major change. Social work values and skills are far more appropriate and effective in these situations than the use of force. George Patterson, associate professor of social work at Hunter College in New York, who participated in the briefing, said that studies indicate that up to 80% of police calls are for social matters and not crime. million Americans made unemployment claims for the week ending June 27th, the 15th consecutive week that claims have exceeded 1 million. According to data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, half of the U.S. workforce is unemployed. And as extended state unemployment benefits are set to expire at the end of July, there are workers that have been excluded from even this unemployment aid in the midst of an economic depression. On Monday morning, undocumented residents, day laborers, sex workers, street vendors, returning citizens, and other workers who have all been locked out of unemployment benefits rallied at Freedom Plaza in D.C., demanding the federal government step in to help. One sign read, We are Americans too. One worker explained how having a police record has impacted job prospects. My name is Michael Lisa Jones. I stand here today in representation of SWIRL. SWIRL is an acronym for sex workers in real life. I stand here today on the shoulders of transgenders that have died in the means of survival, in the cold, in the hatred, in the police brutality. I stand here today in the name of rejection that we have received. It's come a time, it's 2020, and you would think that we're being accepted. We may accept each other, but we are held responsible to embrace one another, empower one another, be strong for one another, support one another. The government is not giving out stimulus checks to sex workers. They're not. 
So now that the city and the community and the world is being shut down because of coronavirus, what are we left to do? I am one who used to sleep on cardboard boxes and live in these parks. I am one who made the wrong decisions in the name of survival to go in the streets and steal. We used to call ourselves the Rat Pack. And what a rat does, it does anything and ne everything necessary to get what it wants. Thus being said, I created a police record very long. I spent time away from freedom. I spent time away incarcerated and isolated. I spent enough time hiding from the public because of who I am. It's time that America hears us now. We are needed. We need empowerment. We need the resources to help one another, to educate the girls and help get them off the street. We need, we need funding for housing. We need more than just to raise an eyebrow and say yes and shake our hand and give us a hug. We need action. We need action right now. People are still dying. People are still suffering. We feel like we're alone many times. I can look over to my sister or to my brother and I can hold their hand. But we still stand alone. We need to be recognized. We need to be heard. Thank you. A coalition of rally sponsors, including DC Jobs with Justice and Sanctuary DMV, want lawmakers to allocate $30 million to assist workers who have been excluded from traditional and pandemic unemployment aid programs. And the economic impact on Americans was on the minds of those assessing recent Supreme Court decisions. Chantel James has more. The Supreme Court's decision on Monday to strike down a Louisiana law that would have required doctors performing abortions to have admitting privileges at a hospital, represented a progressive victory this week. But with issues like protections for the LGBTQ community and the Dreamers, as well as affordable health care during a pandemic, still at stake and under threat, organizers have rallied from the steps of the Supreme Court to virtual spaces to press for court reform. Tuesday, take back the court and demand justice, organized an online rally that featured speakers including Senator Elizabeth Warren, comedian W. Kamal Bell, Mara Kiesling, executive director of the National Center for Transgender Equality, Congressman Ro Khanna of California, and Congresswoman Ilhan Omar of Minnesota. Omar celebrated recent wins in the courts, but cautioned about the continuing need to fight back against conservative appointees. I'm just really excited and I just wanted to acknowledge, right, um, what we've been acknowledging tonight, that there have been some really good wins and things that we should be proud of that have happened because people have stood up. But as it's been acknowledged by, you know, uh, Senator Warren and Representative Ro Khanna, that this is not enough, right? We have seen time and time again people like Chief Justice Roberts and the right wing Justices have consistently put the needs of millionaires and corporations over the needs of everyday Americans, including women and people of color. We have watched as the Supreme Court has chipped away the rights of working people by undermining workers' ability to uh, organize and unionize, allowing dark money, as the senator emphasized, to influence our elections and the disenfranchisement of millions of black voters 
in a racist decision striking down the Voting Rights Act. The current court's uh, extreme majority doesn't reflect the will of the people, and the two newest justices were chosen by Donald Trump, which I believe is an illegitimate, corrupt, and impeached president who did lose the popular vote. And it's really important to to acknowledge that and, and realize that the confirmation of, of these judges um, were not only fought by the people, but you know the, the legitimacy of them being even allowed um, to have been appointed uh, is something that we should continue to question. To stay current with Take Back the Court's actions to fight for a fair judiciary, follow them on social media at Take Back the Courts. From Northeast CC, this is Chantal James. And finally, in culture and media, a report in Adweek says that investors are urging corporations to end their relationship with the Washington football team. The article by Mary Emily O'Hara said that investment firms and shareholders worth a collective $620 billion asked team sponsors Nike, FedEx, and PepsiCo to end their relationship with Washington's football team over its name. The article said that the topic has gained momentum in recent weeks in the aftermath of the police killing of George Floyd in Minnesota and the ongoing worldwide protests. Trump's new re-election merch is raising some eyebrows. He has an American First t-shirt with a symbol that looks a lot like the Iron Eagle, the symbol of the Nazi party. In history for this week, on July 2nd, 1964, President Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964, prohibiting discrimination on the basis of race and public accommodations, publicly owned or operated facilities, employment, union membership, and voter registration. The act allowed for the cutoff of federal monies to jurisdictions that continued to allow discrimination. And on July 3, 1988, the American warship USS Vincennes, while patrolling the Strait of Hormuz between the Persian Gulf and the Arabian Sea, fired upon an Iranian passenger airplane carrying 290 passengers and crew. All were killed. President George H.W. Bush said that he would not apologize for shooting down the civilian plane because he said he would never apologize for the United States. And finally, family, friends, and fans gathered Tuesday to pay final respects to jazz great Robert Northern, known as Brother Ah. The family is planning a larger memorial at a later date. And those are our headlines and happenings. Stay with us.
ashamed of themselves. Protocol was breached in every manner. We lost one of our own on our own base. Unacceptable should never happen ever. Not just once. One many one person too many is what happened here. I have Vanessa Guillen's family here, her father, her sisters, Congressman Tulsi Gabbard was kind enough to come in and meet the family and um, give her support. Like we said before, we demand a congressional investigation. This should never have happened. And we will never know what happened ever until we get a congressional investigation because everything we were given was lies. It was evasive. They were not sincere. They were actually very disingenuous to us. I don't know who's covering up for who, but it doesn't matter. We lost a life. We lost a beautiful young soldier. And it's time we fix our system. Women should not be afraid to come forth about sexual harassment. They should not fear telling, reporting sexual harassment. This is unacceptable. It's 2020. What's happening? Sexual harassment's not criminal, that was what we were told. Well, guess what? We have a dead person because of sexual harassment. It is criminal. We want legislation. We need legislation so this never happens again. There was a strong young woman who died. She was strong, she ran, she played soccer. She was going for a hike that day. If she can get killed, who couldn't get killed? This could happen to any of our mothers or sisters our daughters, enough is enough. One person too many. We want a bill in her name, I am Vanessa Guillen, ready to be passed that says you don't be afraid to report sexual harassment. You report it and you need a third party to report it to. Like any other private company, when somebody gets sexually harassed, you call the EEOC independent agency nothing to do with the company how is it that when you are in the military you can only report internally how how can they feel safe they're getting blackballed they're getting uh, what's it called insubordination remarks comments uh, women do not and men do not feel safe reporting sexual harassment in the military you go to the web page of I am Vanessa Guillen and you will see Hundreds and hundreds of soldiers' stories that are so, so disheartening that all these women face this kind of harassment and couldn't say anything. Harassment and assault. Because harassment leads to assault. Just because someone doesn't want to talk about it doesn't mean it didn't happen. And today we're here to demand a congressional investigation of how the protocol was breached, how this family who deserves answers never got any. We couldn't even know the name of the person she worked with that day, who we understand is the person who killed himself. What planet are we on? It's wrong. We need transparency. I want to introduce Myra, Vanessa's sister. It takes a lot for me to be up here this morning. 
Um, as you know, it's not confirmed yet whether it's my sister or not, but at this point, everything points to it. Um, I really can't speak on what my family feels at the moment. My mom, she couldn't make it. She is feeling really ill. And on top of everything, I still have to lead on with making sure that my sister gets everything that she deserves. She needs respect. She needs everybody's help. We need the congressional investigation as soon as possible. They lied to us since day one. Fort Hood, they're hiding. I don't know what. I don't know who. It all, I'm surprised they even admitted the foul play. And I, I truly hope that whoever's responsible, because it's not just with that one person. And they need to get prosecuted for what is what they did. At this point, I just, they lied to us since day one. When I first went up to that base, that subject, I met him. Not knowing that he had something to do with it, I felt something was telling me that that he did something and I wasn't wrong, apparently. He still had the nerve that same day to laugh in my face. And apparently now he kills himself. Why, I don't know. But whoever's responsible has to pay. And we demand a congressional investigation. And I need everyone's help to keep the story alive because... They claim that sexual harassment is not, apparently to them, it's not important. What about now? Because it led up to this. Now everybody wants to turn their tables. I'd like to ask uh, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard to come forth and speak a few words before she has to go back. So it's tremendous sadness and heartbreak that we stand here today with Vanessa Guillen's family. Her dad, Roger, and her sisters, Myra and Lupe, and her mother, Gloria. What they are going through is unimaginable. We stand here for Vanessa. We stand here for justice. We stand here for every other service member who's experienced sexual harassment or assault and did not feel safe reporting it out of fear of retaliation. For years, the Department of Defense has talked about reform. For years, Congress has pushed the Department of Defense towards the necessary reforms. Some changes have been made, but these changes have not gone nearly far enough. What is happening here today is evidence of that. I've served as a soldier in the Army for over 17 years. My first four years in the Army were as a young junior enlisted soldier, just like Vanessa. I later went on to become a commissioned officer where I served as a platoon leader and later a company commander. I know personally 
the strength of and the importance of the chain of command. I also know and understand that fear that Vanessa must have felt. I know and understand how critical it is for our young troops, our young soldiers to have trust in and faith in their chain of command, which is why these acts of abuse and harassment coming from within that chain of command are so destructive and have such a devastating impact on a young soldier and on the integrity and cohesiveness of that unit. This is why throughout my time in Congress, I have long advocated for real reforms through legislation like the Military Justice Improvement Act and other bills that would provide an independent, transparent path towards justice for victims of sexual harassment and assault by providing them a way to report these incidents outside of the chain of command, where they would feel safe from that fear of retaliation and would have the trust that they would have their day in court, that they would be able to seek true justice. This is what Vanessa and her family deserve. This is what all of our service members deserve, this justice and closure. So I stand with the Guillen family in calling for congressional oversight to find out exactly what happened to her. The fact that over 60 days has gone by and still there's been no disclosure of the internal investigation of her sexual harassment charges is absolutely unacceptable. We need to know why she did not get the help that she needed when she needed it and why this family is forced to grieve and mourn her loss here today. Congress needs to do its job. The Department of Defense needs to do its job to truly serve and provide justice to the men and women who voluntarily serve our country and put their lives on the line. Thank you very much. Thank you, Congresswoman uh, Gabbard. Uh, we're going to now bring Lupa, her sister, Vanessa's sister, to speak. The human remains have yet not been confirmed, but I still don't lose hope. My mother's on bed right now with them pills. Why? Because they lie to our faces every single day that passed. Every single day, which is two months, more than two months. My sister Vanessa Guillen was sexually harassed, yet nothing was done to it. For her lack of responsibility, safety, and respect, because they didn't respect my sister. They didn't keep my sister safe. They always try to cover up for each other. Why? My sister's a human too. She deserves respect. She deserves to be heard. Because if this can happen to my sister, it can happen to anyone else. My sister was also sexually harassed, and this led to this. They don't protect our servers, women and men. They're the ones putting their life at risk every day for the nation and for us. Just like my sister. How can this happen on military base? How can this happen while she was on duty? How can this just happen? And they let it go under the rug like if it was nothing. They take sexual harassment. 
sexual assault as a joke. Just see the hashtag I am Vanessa Guillen. All those men and women in our service suffering from sexual harassment, suffering from sexual assault because they report it yet. They take it as a joke. My sister's no joke. My sister's a human being. And I want justice. And I want answers. Because my sister did not do this to herself. Someone did it. And it's not what someone, it's various people. And if this can happen to my sister, what makes you think it can happen to other service women and men? They don't care about us. My sister's an example of it. My sister did not deserve to suffer. My sister did not deserve this. But yet I do not lose hope on God. Because God has the last word. You have been listening to the family of Vanessa Guillen and family attorney Natalie Kawam. Guillen is a 20-year-old soldier who went missing for more than two months from Fort Hood in Texas before her case recently attracted more attention and just this week two suspects were named in connection with her disappearance. One suspect allegedly killed himself and base officials told the family what they say happened to Guillen, who had complained that her superior officers were sexually harassing her. The suspect in her disappearance, Sergeant Aaron David Robinson, was not her superior officer. The other suspect, Cicely Aguilar, is the estranged wife of a former soldier at the base, but not a soldier herself. Investigators told the family that Guillen was bludgeoned to death with a hammer on the base, and then her body was dismembered and buried nearby. Human remains were found in a shallow grave near the base. The family believes those remains belong to Vanessa Guillen, but the Army has not confirmed the identity of the body. Even though the Army says Robinson was not Guillen's superior, her case raises again the open scandal of sexual assault in the military and the rule which former Senator Claire McCaskill was instrumental in upholding that requires victims of sexual harassment or assault in the military to report crime to their superior officer, even if that officer is the assailant or the suspect or the accused. Vanessa Guillen's family is calling for an independent congressional investigation into her disappearance. This is On the Ground. Stay with us.
This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, listeners might remember that last month, Obama's national security advisor, Susan Rice, insinuated on CNN that the uprising against racism in the United States could be directed by Russia. And we were able to laugh and rage at Rice on last week's show. So as we head into July, U.S. news organizations are citing anonymous intelligence officials and claiming that Russia offered bounties to kill U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. And then they're wagging their finger at President Trump for taking no action over these alleged bounties. Here this week to discuss this and other international issues is Ajamu Baraka, international human rights activist and a frequent writer and commentator on human rights issues. He's also national organizer for Black Alliance for Peace and former Green Party nominee for Vice President of the United States. Welcome back to the show, Ajamu. Esther, I'm really glad to be back with you. Thank you. Thank you for, for joining me. Well, let's first get your take on this story. These are anonymous intelligence sources, and this is just how Russiagate, Ukrainegate, and the impeachment inquiry began against Trump. So I'm wondering, I want your take on whether this is just the latest installment of this obsession with Russia, or this is this some way to change the subject as the protest movement against racism continues to claim victories as more police terror is constantly being exposed and there's a general uprising in the U.S. around economic issues related to the depression here. Well, you know, uh, Esther, there is a political objective uh, here and it's not just to attempt to change the, the focus of the conversation but it's reflective of the issue that the Trump administration has faced from day one. And that is that there are some very powerful forces that have their own agenda that are trying to make sure that that agenda is in fact realized and will do and have done everything in their power to ensure that Trump policies would not deviate from those concerns and interests. And one of the uh, major issues that some of these powerful forces are concerned with is ensuring that there will still be a steady flow of the public's resources into the hands and pockets of the military-industrial complex. The connection I'm making is that your listeners probably know that there is a so-called peace process between the U.S. and the Taliban in Afghanistan. They are at a point now where basically there are some agreements with a uh, tentative timetable uh, in which the U.S. is supposed to withdraw all of its forces from Afghanistan by next May. Well, that is seen by some of these powerful forces as a real threat uh, because if you allow for a process to unfold uh, in which there is peace, especially within the context of this pandemic uh, and the concerns that people are raising now around military expenditures and the budget, this could be a very dangerous occurrence. Uh, And so this notion of the Russians attempting to pay uh, bounties to the Taliban who were fighting the U.S. anyway, they didn't need any further uh, incentives, is a, a crude attempt to try to, to undermine the peace process in Afghanistan, to elongate it, because 
Uh, they don't want that process to be to be concluded. One, but secondly, they don't want Trump to be able to re- be able to claim uh, a victory, a, a campaign promise he made to get the U.S. out of these endless wars. They don't want that victory to be able to be claimed by Trump before the November election. So there is this objective. So there is a, a method in the madness. Right. Well, you know, the Senate just killed a bipartisan bill to end the Afghanistan war. And it reminds me of all the machinations to keep the U.S. troops in Syria not that long ago. And also Bernie Sanders uh, introduced legislation this week to cut, I think, 10 percent from the Pentagon uh, connected to this, the needs here at home and the depression. And last month, Representative Barbara Lee had a proposal to cut $350 billion from the Pentagon. So that kind of momentum that you're talking about and that type of perspective is is obviously out there. And, and I can see how forces against it would be trying to organize. So anyway, so I'm thinking about this story about these uh, anonymous sources talking about b- bounties on U.S. soldiers as kind of like the latest like manufactured news and that sucks up so much of the oxygen. And at the same time, corporate media ignores any historical context. You know, there's already been more than 2,000 U.S. troops killed in in Afghanistan, you know, without the need of any kind of bounties, you know, we have our troops there. And so why are they there? And the fact that the U.S. paid the Mujahideen to kill Soviet troops, right, during that conflict. So there's history there that, that people aren't really talking about. And then right now, the U.S. is continuing economic policies that are killing black and brown people all over the world. Uh, just on Thursday, the U.S. moved to seize the cargo of four oil tankers carrying gasoline and fuel products to Venezuela from Iran. And these are two countries that the U.S. is crippling with sanctions and preventing them from treating their own population suffering from COVID-19. The last study I saw, I guess last year, said that U.S. sanctions on Venezuela had cost 40,000 lives. So. I want you to just give your give your take on the U.S. talking about these lives lost by way of some kind of bounty or whatever versus all the lives that the U.S. is responsible for around the world. Well, you know, Esther, you're, you're, you're absolutely right in your uh, commentary and your question that there's no comparison between what is alleged uh, from the Russians uh, and the, um, the crimes committed by the U.S., over the last 70 years. You know, the Russian story is based on this idea that there's this fundamental antagonism between the U.S. and Russia, and that Russia is out to undermine U.S. interests. And so because that perception is out there, it allows for the U.S. to engage in this really crude propaganda. The notion that there's some kind of special relationship between Trump uh, and Russia or Putin uh, and that the Russians are getting some kind of favorable treatment from the U.S. It does not correspond to the objective uh, reality. You have the U.S. still engage in, in sanctions against Russia, including a number of very powerful forces inside that country. You have the U.S. that is attempting to destroy the uh, Nord Stream uh, gas pipeline, a pipeline that was supposed to uh, significantly expand the 
uh, Russian natural gas to the European markets. Uh, they've been uh, targeting that for the last few years. You have the NATO and the U.S. redeploying nuclear weapons and the shifting uh, ground forces into Poland to further tighten the noose around Russia. So, you know, it's hard to find the favorable policies coming from the Trump administration. But in the general public, this narrative is so strong that it allows for uh, for the propagandists to push these, this crude idea that the Russians are attempting to undermine U.S. interest in Afghanistan. And as you said, the context, the Russians are the last ones to want to see uh, some kind of continuation of, of chaos in Afghanistan and the possibility of ISIS gaining ground in Afghanistan. That is something that is part of their strategic opposition to. So no, this is all nonsense. Right. Well, also this week, the I believe that the maybe you can give me the latest because it's been kind of a tangled news news thread. Uh, Venezuela expelled the e um, the EU ambassador or either threatened to um, after the EU imposed new sanctions on Venezuela. And at the same time, the UK has refused has refused Venezuela access to its gold that it's been holding or hoarding. And that it's also just recognized Juan Guaido as president of Venezuela. I suppose maybe they recognized him. So they, as a, as a ploy to, to be able to hold on to another country's gold. This is just gangsterism. It really is. And yeah, they recognized Juan Guaido quite some time ago when the coup started. So this is part of the process. And you are absolutely right. They're basically... This is a straight up piracy. They took a state's gold and have refused to return it. So this is part of, of the process uh, that we, you referred to in your question. The, the kind of sanctioning that is being applied to uh, Venezuela is not only resulting in uh, their resources being stolen, but in real life suffering in their country. That uh, report that you referred to, where there were more than 40,000 people who have died as a consequence of U.S. sanctions, that number has almost uh, doubled since that report. Uh, so Venezuelans are paying the, the price of attempting to try to build an independent uh, economy uh, and to uh, exercise their uh, sovereignty and self-determination. Uh, the U.S. and the U European Union, working in tandem, attempting to strangle of the Bolivarian revolutionary process uh, in that country is really shameful. Uh, but that's why we say the Black Alliance of Peace, uh, that we, we see as the number one enemy of humanity, uh, the U.S., uh, EU, NATO, axis of domination. You know, with all of the contradictions they have among themselves, they still tend to be able to combine their resources and forces to undermine nations like uh, Venezuela and Cuba and all of the nations that are attempting to try to strike an independent course are from European colonial domination. You know, we have seen some some progressives in Congress, for example, uh, come forward to talk about how there was a coup in Bolivia this week. There was a letter signed by several lawmakers, I think more than a dozen lawmakers, to condition U.S. aid to Israel on their um, 
the fact that they will not try to annex the West Bank and I think condition it on other types of human rights abuses of the Palestinian people. And the movement in the streets right now, there's been a longstanding and growing uh, connection between the Black Lives Matter movement and Palestinian rights. But, you know, I just kind of wish that there was like a larger recognition of the diaspora and people had more solidarity with Venezuela, with people in the Congo. And just, you know, there, I wish the movement would grow or that it will grow to be more diaspora conscious. I do too. Especially when you look at the fact that a disproportionate number of people who are in fact dying in Venezuela are black folks. Now, many people don't know the percentage of the black population in that country and that uh, it is the black working class and poor that's one of the major sectors of support for the Bolivarian process. So you can't talk about Black Lives Matter in the U.S. and then you are silent on uh, murderous U.S. policies that are killing black people in, in Venezuela. You can't talk about Black Lives Matter in the U.S. and you know nothing about uh, the millions of black lives uh, that have been lost in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So you're right, that that consciousness has to be redeveloped. It's something that we try to do in the Black Alliance for Peace because we are trying to revive what used to be uh, a tradition of internationalism among our folks. This new kind of U.S. centrism uh, that we find, even among so-called progressives, is quite uh, harmful, uh, not only for uh, developing radical consciousness in the U.S., but undermining the understanding of the responsibility that we have in the U.S. at the center of empire, our, the responsibility to the people of the world that we have. So this, this fragmentation between uh, U.S. movements and the world is something that has to be addressed. Now, we've, we've seen some, some progress uh, with the solidarity and with the uh, energy uh, coming out of the street actions of, of June around the, what started off as the George Floyd demos. And it shows the potential, tremendous potential that we have to shape uh, discussion and to generate real uh, oppositional work around, it, around the world. And that's what the state is really concerned with. So, you know, developing that internationalism again, if that happens in the U.S., we began to articulate uh, opposition not only to uh, Palestine, but to Venezuela, uh, to uh, U.S. policies uh, uh, in, in Libya, rejecting uh, the U.S.-Africa uh, command on the Africa continent, demanding uh, freedom of, of black people in, in Colombia, and the freedom of Haiti. Then we will be a significant force for progress uh, and good uh, once again, as we were you know, 50 years ago. Well, wow, that just brings me full circle because as you were talking, I realized that they don't want that type of solidarity. They want us to have solidarity against Russia. <laughs> so, right? right. They want us to turn our gaze that way. Well, anyway, I'll have to leave it there. I've been speaking with Ajamu Baraka, international human rights activist and a frequent writer and commentator on human rights issues. He's also national organizer for Black Alliance for Peace and former Green Party nominee for vice president of the United States. Thank you for joining me today, Ajamu. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Imagine living like a black man. Yeah, uh, 
Imagine living like a black man, yo, a black man in America, sorta kinda like being treated just like a terrorist, living how I'm living is really no comparisons, they systematically trying to kill us, now that's the scariest, I swear the numbers getting various, I'm feeling like I'm Harriet, an underground soldier for my people that I'm carrying, they killed George Floyd, now I'm trying to fill the void, this the life my brother's living, it's really hard to avoid, I keep my hoodie on for Trayvon, I do it for my day ones, Sandra Bland spoke about the path that we should stay on, can't breathe through this nonsense, the killings coming constant, the crooked politicians is never willing to stop this, yeah, Breonna Taylor, say her name, say it again, Breonna Taylor, say her name, until we win. With protests sparked by the killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police, still taking place in D.C. at full momentum a month later. Organizations are sharing resources to help people protest with the most minimal risk of harm to themselves. On Monday, June 22nd, George Washington University's Black Law Students Association, Criminal Law Society, and Street Law collaborated on an online event to outline legal rights and safety protocol for taking to the streets. At Know Your Rights, GW Law Professor Stephen Salzberg clarified misconceptions around the right to a phone call if arrested and provided practices to keep safe while participating in demonstrations. So, before you demonstrate, there are several things that you really need to think about. One, let somebody that you trust know where you're planning to go, what you're planning to participate in, so you aren't lost. Memorize a couple phone numbers, even write them on your arm of people you could call if you were arrested or in trouble. It doesn't have to be a lawyer. The most important thing is that you've arranged that you're going to call somebody who's got his or her phone constantly available in case largely you're arrested. By the way, although you see in the movies and TV shows this notion that you're entitled to one phone call, you're not. And if police do arrest you and don't let you make a call, eventually they'll probably relent and let you make one. And it's really important that you've identified people that you know will be at the other end of the line. Um, one of the bits of advice is uh, carrying a document with you. If you have medical conditions that people should know about. And I don't think you have to consult with a lawyer before you go because just pay attention here and you'll be all right. Now, we've provided for you descriptions of what to wear and goggles and a mask and um, that your hair should be tied up, heat-resistant gloves. Um, basically, cover up your tattoos in case you don't want to be really identified. Depending on how long you're going to be out there, you need to think about water. You need to think about earplugs, washcloths. If you're going to be carrying a sign, you'll want to have it ready with you. You don't want to bring your cell phone with you without making sure you've turned off anything that the police took it from you that would give them information that you don't want them to have. Um, don't bring anything with you. You don't want to be found on your person because if you are arrested, they will search your person completely. For more resources on how to protect yourself as you protest, visit Street Law's website at streetlaw.org. From Northeast CC, this is Chantal James. And that will do it for today's episode of On the Ground. 
OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. Special thanks to Chantel James, Thomas O'Rourke, and to Colin Michael. And thanks to all the people checking out our new podcast, On the Ground with Esther Averam. That's On the Ground W, Esther Averam, on all your podcast platforms. Our new podcast, our pages and website all have the same protest sign with green lettering that says On the Ground. Of course, you can also listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. And you can reach out to us there as well. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook, Twitter, or supporting us on Patreon, forward slash onthegroundshow. The music we played this hour included Kamasi Washington, Street Fire Moss, Paul Bailey, playing the trumpet solo Lift Every Voice and Sing at the homegoing service for Robert Northern, Brother Ah, on June 30th, 2020 in Maryland, and Bald Fist by Louis Bags. Our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Ivarum. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. <laughs>